There was a clattering as someone tried to pull what sounded like pots and pans from one of the many boxes that lined the kitchen wall. My head slumped against my pillow, almost 14 hours of sleep, and I still felt like shit. It looked like a nice day, though. From my perspective near the floor, I had a clear view of brilliant blue skies without a cloud in sight. There was more noise from the kitchen and whistling. Unless I missed my guess, it was Prokofiev's Symphony No. 1, sometimes in D, and it was being butchered. I dragged myself to a sloped sitting position and stretched my back, allowing the little muscle just left of my spine and halfway down to decide how it was going to let me live today. The prognosis was fair. I looked through the opaque plastic coating that still clung to the glass door between the bedroom and kitchen, pushed to my feet, and stumbled. I turned the glass knob, stolen almost a decade ago from our rented house in town, and confronted the Cheyenne Nation, who was resplendent in his old Kansas City Chiefs jersey, complete with your name printed on the back. Hey, people are trying to sleep in here. After 14 hours, you have constituted clinical death. He was popping open a can of biscuits on the particle board edge of the counter and lining an old pie pan with them. Did you wash that? He paused. Should I have? Well, there's mouse shit on most of this stuff. His shoulders sagged as he pulled the biscuits out of the pan and inspected the underside of each one. How do you live like this? Shh. Your shelf for mine Talking sophisticated topics all the time Your shelf for mine Kick back, relax Crack a book on wine at your shelf Hello, and welcome to your shelf. Or mine. I'm Becky Standle, Youth Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. I'm Austin Brigden, Administrative Assistant here at the Longview Public Library. And today is our final podcast of 2022, and we'll be talking about the work of Craig Johnson. Yeah. I'm excited. We, uh, we find ourselves here. Talk- I thought, oh my gosh, Craig Johnson's going to be so appropriate for December because mm-hmm. I know so- many of the books are not set in winter, but I always remember Longmire ending up in these bad situations in like the snow. But we've missed that now. It's the snow has thawed, but still, it's December. Just for a little bit longer. So let's jump right in. Craig Johnson was an author that Austin selected for our podcast challenge this year. And I had not read any of, of his books before. Now I have read one and a little bit of another one. But I think we both were introduced to him a little bit at the same time when we were in Wyoming last summer. Mm-hmm. We stopped in this town, the small town called Buffalo, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And it was like, where are we really? Because everything there was like Longmire, Sheriff of... Abscarosca County, welcome to Durant, because mm-hmm. that's where the the books and the TV show are based. Yes. So I guess I'll give a little on my... So I had watched the TV series, Longmire, which had a bit of a interesting trajectory. I think it was on and- A&E and then rescued by Netflix, et cetera, et cetera. And I really enjoyed it. Robert Taylor as Longmire, the Australian actor, and Lou Diamond Phillips, and, and, and a great cast. And I'd never really 
I, I hadn't really thought about reading the books. And then, yeah, we were in Wyoming. So the books center around Walt Longmire, who's the sheriff of Absaroka County, and he's headquartered in, in Durant, and that's based off of, of Johnson County. Some of you might know Johnson. Uh, if you ever watched the film with Robert Redford, Jeremiah Johnson, Johnson, Jeremiah Liver Eating Johnson, as he's more long-windedly referred, is the namesake of Johnson County. And Johnson lives in a small area. Craig Johnson lives in a... So many Johnsons. Craig Johnson lives in a small area away from Buffalo called U-Cross, um, population 25, as it says in his author's bio. And that that's mirrored in the books. There's a place called Crossroads, where which is where Walt's cabin is. Like Becky said, we stopped into Buffalo. It wasn't really a planned part of our, our thing. It's a beautiful little town. But yes, they are really, they've really embraced it. One of the things we wanted to do in Buffalo was we're trying to find lunch. It was like 2021 summer, so it was like hard to find lunch places because people didn't have workers, so most places were closed. But we also wanted to stop in the sporting goods store and ask somebody, the sporting goods store in this book maybe, and ask somebody on staff there if it would be possible to drive my minivan down Crazy Woman Canyon. He said no. The answer was no. <laughs> Crazy Woman Canyon, another Jeremiah John. For those Jeremiah Johnson fans out there, there's a subplot in the movie about the the woman who goes crazy. That is the basis for that. Yeah, but it was very cool. And I just read the first book, which is called The Cold Dish. And having been there, all like the places that they mentioned. Well, not all of them. I wouldn't go everywhere, but a lot of the places. I was like, oh right. Yeah. We went there. They go to Ten Sleep. They go to yeah these different places that we went. You know the landscape a little yeah. bit because when we yeah. were on our trip, it was a botanical trip to look at wildflowers somewhat. In that respect, it wasn't super successful, but we were in the Bighorn Mountains mm-hmm. region, and that's where really where the books are set. I mean, they're set in Absaroka County, but he often verges off into these other counties in the larger Bighorn Mountain region, which mm-hmm. is in the northern part of Wyoming, north central Wyoming. I think mostly it's funny. The other counties are real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he'll go to other real counties because like I just started the 11th book, which is called Any Other Name. And he it takes place in Campbell County. And he apologizes at the beginning of the book for whenever Walt goes to Campbell County. So the books become kind of dark and noirish and he feels bad about it. But uh, gosh, I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to begin. So yeah, we said, so Walt Longmire, sheriff of Absaroka County. Yeah. And so it wasn't until we got back that you really started reading I started reading, reading them, them. And then it was like, oh, I wish we'd bought, because they had stores where they're just like piles of autographed copies of oh yeah books. that's a thing i guess to say about buffalo too before we move on is that you know i think it's gotten a little more difficult as the his uh, notoriety has grown and stuff but i think there's also a real pride there not just like capitalizing on this connection but like a real pride because craig johnson is like local and you know for many years they have the longmire festival there mm-hmm. which i think he and his wife judy were very involved in running for many years i think they've stepped back now because it's just gotten too big and too much but they really it's he's very involved in the community which is cool and i think you can feel that in the books i think there's a real feeling of you mentioned there being something a little bit cozy about them, even though many things about them are not cozy at all. They do, and reviewers, if you read blurbs on the back, they'll talk about like going into the Longmire world is like slipping on a comfortable pair of slippers. Like there's this real cozy vibe. Um, yeah. I think that's a big part of why people love it so much. Mm-hmm. It feels like the setting of a cozy in a way, but with the hard violence of... <laughs> 
<laughs> like a harder mystery. Like the mystery cases aren't what you'd find in a cozy mystery. No, they're not pulling pulling any punches. No. So, and a little background on Craig Johnson. So he is not from Wyoming originally. He's from West Virginia, but I think he moved to Wyoming when he was like 20 or 21. Very young and settled in that area. And I don't know a whole lot about his trajectory to being a writer, but I know that he was writing short stories at first. And some of his short stories started featuring this Walt Longmire character and started getting a lot of attention. I think he won some awards. There was a an award. It may have been at that time given out or like selected by Tony Hillerman. And one of his stories won that award. Since then, you know, he's piled up a lot of awards. So Walt Longmire, sheriff of Absaroka County, the series sort of finds him. He's been sheriff for a long time. His wife has died some years previous of cancer. He's funny. He's not, you know, your strong man protagonist or anything. He's a very vulnerable guy. He's very, like, he's sad about his wife. He's feeling old. I think he's he's, he's relatable to in that way and that, like, he does extraordinary and heroic things in the books, but he's also very imperfect and sort of, like vulnerable about stuff but he's wanting to retire at the beginning of the series he's like oh get out of here and he has an under sheriff victoria moretti that he wants to take the job or run for the job um, she's a big character through the series probably the biggest character besides her is henry standing bear who's his best friend from childhood they both served in vietnam not together but they both served in vietnam and they're just sort of lifelong friends henry has a bar called the red pony just outside the reservation so they at the crossroads. Yes. They're just outside the Northern Cheyenne reservation. And so, you know, native people figure very heavily in his books, some more than others, but that area there's um the Cheyenne and the Crow tribes in particular uh, figure a lot into his books. Those are the two those I think are the three big characters. And then there's you know a huge supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Uh Lucian Connolly, his his old boss is this like feisty old former sheriff you know with one leg that he goes and plays chess with at the old folks home why do the indians call him they have this big story about like he was looking for somebody and the guy tried to get away in the river or something so he took off his leg and just dived in after him Mm -hmm. and made him this like kind of one who sheds his leg he has a a name in northern cheyenne that means one who sheds his leg yeah he's kind of like a he's he's rowdy too it's like like, oh there's a standoff at the nursing home oh it's lucian's decided they won't let him get the right brand of cigarettes or something but um yeah so lucian's a really colorful character the secretary at the sheriff's office ruby her name is ruby and she in addition to secretarying like has a column in the paper that's like she picks out like the funny funny things from her Police blotter. She picks oh, out, like, yeah. She listens to police blotter and then she does picks like out the funny, funny things stuff. And then publishes them as a column. Yeah, there's a lot of. And I think in that first book in particular, I think not unusually for, for series, it's a little shaggy. It's a little mm-hmm. like he gets like a little tighter and more confident in later books. But there's a lot of really delightful atmosphere building, I think, in those books and like introducing. You had said that it was a little slow. Yeah. So the this is the first one. That I've read is The Cold Dish, which is the first novel in the series. And I would say about like the first half I felt was a little slow. It's real introductory. Introducing Walt as this this character. Like Austin said, he is sad his wife has been dead for four years and he never really got over it. They had moved out to Crossroads to build this house together, I think, because it's what she wanted to do. And then she died really suddenly, like quickly with of cancer. 
and he never finished the house. He's just living there with the rats in this kind of like framed out house. Very sad. And then like early in the book, Henry is like, I'm over you living like this. It's <laughs> It's gone on long enough. He hires this like crew of young guys to start working on his house and he sets him up on a date and uh, oh, he's going to get him in shape. He's got three steps. <laughs> to, to, so he makes him go like running in the morning, which is funny. Henry's great. Yeah. I love Henry. And Henry's like a big, strong guy. Yes. And uh, former special forces actually in yeah. Vietnam. Behind the lines, he was like in Laos and stuff. Mm-hmm. I yeah. He's, it's hinted at a lot and revealed in some places a very difficult career mm-hmm. in the military. Yeah. Yeah. And then the reason that he opened the, the bar was so that he could uh, help people out. Mm-hmm. And it's he is occasionally deputized by Walt to do stuff stuff for him but he doesn't want to you know work in law enforcement right yeah so about half of that and like so in the cold dish walt is also haunted by this rape case that he handled i think three years back involving a teenage girl from the reservation who is handicapped because of fetal alcohol syndrome who was brutally raped by four white boys and who all it's like revealed slowly through the book how like the trial went and what the you know what the verdict was and then what their sentences were and um, the sentences were, were very lenient and so the very beginning of the book kind of like the ringleader of that group of boys who did this terrible crime is found dead shot by like a long range rifle and everyone's like guess it was an accident who cares everyone hates this guy anyways (laughs) but then the more that he investigates it the more it starts to look like it wasn't an accident and then about halfway through another one of those boys is found dead and that's when the book really picks up and I think I I read the second half really quickly yeah you were like how'd you read so many of these they're so (laughs) slow no, and they're shocked. Also, I was reading over Christmas. They're like sh- yeah, no, no. They're sh- I didn't read the ones that I read for this as fast as I came home from Wyoming and went on a real tear with mm-hmm. them. And it, it was such a delight. Uh, it's not to say, you know, they're perfect books or that there aren't parts, parts where I'm like, oh, my God. But I hadn't gotten into a series in a long time. And I, I really it really reintroduced me to the pleasure of getting into a series and that familiarity with the cast of characters and stuff. And it was a really stressful time um, personally in my life and a lot of people's lives in 2021. And I found a real comfort in this cast of characters. And, you know, Becky knows this, but Wyoming also sort of holds a, a special place in my heart. My my father's mother and her family came from the southern Wyoming Rock Springs area, Sweetwater County in the 40s. And I grew up hearing a lot of stories about Wyoming, kind of built it up in my mind to a, a mythical sort of a place. And we went down there finally. That was a dream of mine and it and it didn't disappoint me. And I think that's one of the things too that I connect with really in his books is, and this is something other people comment on, how much he loves Wyoming and really delves into all of its many subcultures and histories and all of this stuff it's a real there's the characters there's the mystery but through the books also there's just this real love for that area there was so the part where they find the second body he's like out because he was going to go fishing or hunting and they find him real early in the morning 
So Walt goes out there and, you know, there's a truck and there's a body in the truck been shot by this long range rifle again. (laughs) But he's describing like the scenery and all this stuff. And I'm like, (laughs) ah, it's so beautiful there. I just like it really made me want to go back. Yeah. Even though it's like a a crime Uh, scene that he's describing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and Walt is very connected to the landscape and I think takes a lot of strength from it. Sometimes literally that he'll get in in these real tight, (laughs) tight scrapes where it's like, is he going to survive? I think there's a real dicey Mm -hmm. thing in that book where he draws on some stuff to get through it. I I wanted to comment too, and I can't remember the name of the rifle. It's a famous kind of rifle. It's very old. It's like an 18 Sharps, 1880s Buffalo rifle. Mm -hmm. And that figures in this. It makes it interesting because it's like nobody uses this rifle. This is not like a normal rifle to be using. They can, you know, the number of people that have them is is relatively small. Yeah, and then so that they, they find out that it was this older rifle because they do, you know, like they have the state or the feds run like ballistics for them, and it turns out it's like black powder rifle. And yeah, there's this like a wealthy character in town. His name is Omar, and he's yeah, like, he's a tracker and a like, uh, what do they call that? A guy that people hire to take them on hunting trips. A guide. Yeah, he knows a lot about guns and an alcoholic. <laughs> there's a lot of alcoholics. Anyways, so Omar has this list, like, he knows the people who might have this weapon in town. He has one. And the people with the skills to... To make that shot. To make that shot from 400... Yeah, 400 or more yards. And he's like, you're one of them. Well, you'd be a suspect. Me, your friend Henry. Henry has one. Mm -hmm. The ghost rifle. So they kind of go around visiting... People who have those guns. People who have these guns. And yeah, one of them is... The father of the girl who was raped has one. Oh, um, is that who had one? Yes, he's Lonnie Littlebird. Lonnie Littlebird. It's in his possession. It belongs to the family. The family, because um, it was a gun that was used in the Battle of Little Bighorn. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much of this is like <laughs> true or not, but they talked about after the Cheyenne had to surrender. Eventually, they turned over nine of these buffalo rifles, and they had had ten. And this is the 10th one that has never turned over to the U.S. federal government. And it's been in their family. And it's haunted. Mm -hmm. Well, ends up like kind of carrying it around for the rest of the book because he's got to get it tested. Mm -hmm. And everyone who encounters it is like, why do you have that? And it's considered sort of like bad. Yeah. Or serious. Like, oh, watch out for that. That's Mm -hmm. got some bad uh, medicine. Medicine. But Lonnie felt like he had to give it to him to, pr- to protect, protect him. him. And it tur- I love Lonnie Littlebird, I have to say. It turns out it really all ties together. One of the interesting things that I thought, and I'd like to read some like Indian perspectives yes. about his books. Have you? Not a lot, but I can speak to that. But you go first. Because Craig Johnson really leans into like Indian mysticism, mysticism in yeah. this book. So there's so he has this rifle that he has but there's also a point where he so the second dead boy had a twin brother who was also involved in the rape and they're trying to find him because he's probably gonna be the next one to be killed right and think he was out fishing by himself at this lake they can't reach him and the storm is coming in so they get omar to drop them off in his helicopter and then they go and find him they end up finding him he there's something wrong with him it's not resolved in this book he ends up surviving the whole thing though he shoots henry and then gets in a scuffle with walt shoots himself mm-hmm. 
And so Walt's there with a storm coming in with two injured men. And they're in the Cloud Peak Wilderness, I think. Yeah. In the Bighorns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Very remote. And so he first carries the the young man out to his car and then leaves him there because he's lighter and easier to carry. And then comes back for Henry with a storm, like, wide, yeah. out, wide out. Right. Condition. Were you so worried about Henry? Well. Or you just thought no. Henry's going to be fine? I wasn't. And the reason I wasn't, Henry's kind of played up as a big suspect in this book. And then there's the thing where you're like, oh, is he going to die? But I knew, you know, you were like, oh, read book three. It's so good. Henry does this and Henry does that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I, I ruined it. So I knew there wasn't any Dane, you know. I knew he was going to be fine, but I still worried. I knew he was fine. You know, I knew he, was he like leaves him there in the snow and yeah. it's like, oh, my God. And he's like singing as Walt like walks away. And as he's coming back, he's like basically guided by, and also when he's leaving, he finds the strength and the song that he's singing. And also these like spirits, spirits that come and visit and walk with him on his way out and then on his way back. And the way he describes like finding him again and picking him up and carrying him back to the parking lot is like a dream. And yeah. Then when he gets back to the parking lot, like Vic is there and she's come to like rescue him. Mm-hmm. But I was like, uh, yeah. I thought- yeah. I, I, I would be curious about that too. Even the books I think that are not quite as um, Native American focused or Indian focused. It's a big thing. I would be curious about that too. One of the things, gosh, there's so much to say. One of the things about Craig Johnson that he does that I think is kind of charming is he always puts the acknowledgements at the front of the book and he makes a kind of a thing out of them. Mm-hmm. They're kind of funny and charming and whatever. And the sense I've gotten about him as a writer is that he, from those acknowledgements and some interviews and stuff is that he really spends a lot of time with a lot of people to read these books, mm-hmm. um, including a lot of native people and he thanks them and the thing. And so I'm curious too. It seems like takes it very seriously. I remember reading a review and people might come at me about this because I, you know, I have not read CJ box. Okay. But people love him and that's great. But this was like a comparison review of Craig, Craig Johnson and CJ boxes, Wyoming writers. And I thought it was really interesting. I, I haven't verified this for myself, but they talked about how they felt like, this was interesting because they noted that Johnson was born in West Virginia, came to Wyoming as a young adult, and um, C.J. Box was born in Cheyenne. And uh, But they said that one of the things is they felt like Box's books, well, a lot of people say that Crit and Johnson's are more well-written, but anyway, Johnson's books were very white, mm-hmm. very, very white, and that they sort of felt like they didn't understand how he could do that. Like one of the things that they praised Johnson for was that like Johnson's vision of Wyoming is unimaginable without Native Americans and Basque people and Mormons and all these different groups that make up Wyoming. You read the Longmire books and you get a sense of, you know, I think people might think about Wyoming. They say, oh, it's a big nothing. There's nobody there. A very diverse tapestry of people and histories and everything. And they were saying, well, boxes, books, it's not like that. It's just a bunch of white people. And so I would be really interested, too, to find out, you know, I mean, he talk, he references a lot of consulting a lot of people in the writing of these books and consulting a lot, particularly on the Native American parts. But I do wonder that, you know, I wonder that I love Henry Standing Bear, but you do get a little bit of a, like, native sidekick, you know, thing. Uh-huh. You know, and you kind of like, like oh. A, like a tonto. How do you reckon that? Although Henry is always saving Walt, like Henry is sort of like 
you know, not a sidekick exactly. Henry is like generally smarter, better with the ladies, better dressed, like saving him all the time. But I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. Because uh, they're best friends since they were boys too and, and have that service together in Vietnam. Yeah. And, you know, you also probably best that Craig Johnson's not writing from Henry's perspective. Oh, he never. Yeah, that's yeah. another thing to say about these. That, And I thought about that the other day just as like a, a writing question. Mm-hmm. As I was like, it's interesting that he doesn't move perspective. He never moves perspective. Mm-hmm. They are always salt. And I was surprised, I think, when I started reading The Cold Dish, having watched the TV show and just kind of imagining how I thought the books might be, that it's first person. Yeah. Solidly first person. They're all in Walt's voice. And Walt, I don't know. I... It's hard. I I would really like to know that perspective. I have, I think, ideas about sort of some of the things that I think mitigate that or make that different in Craig Johnson's books, which is like a real intense interest in like the reality of the lives of the different people he depicts and like consulting with them. Walt as a character has a lot of humility about these other groups, you know, and he has some of these experiences and he's sort of not sure what to think of them are. Mm -hmm. You know, is he going crazy? Was it the stress of being out in this, you know, environment, you know, hypothermia, whatever, you know, and he's sort of not sure. But I think in both the books and the movies, too, he's depicted as a little bit like maybe less in the books, definitely in the TV show. Sometimes people are a little suspicious of his like openness toward native people. Think of him as a little bit of an Indian lover, Mm -hmm. you know, and they don't feel like he should be. So I don't know. It's interesting. Another kind of interesting thing about his character is that he's very, like, literary. Yes, I think that's part of the delight of these books is that, what would you say? It's a kind of discordant with what people expect, mm-hmm. right? People sort of expect a Western to be, or they have a certain idea about a person who lives in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's like a guy who reads a lot of books and is always thinking about things and kind of funny literary ways. Yeah, uh, towards the end of the book, he quotes Shakespeare and someone's like, Romeo and Juliet? And he's like, no, Hamlet. He goes, all the lines about, or all the good lines about dying are from Hamlet. But in the beginning of the book, he almost like describes himself as a Don Quixote type of character, Mm -hmm. like tilting at windmills. And I guess in that sense, he would be like kind of the fumbling uh, knight. And he is. Like I want, that's that point I was Mm -hmm. sort of making about how he's not a... I don't know what you would call that sort of perfect hero character. Mm-hmm. That's part of why Henry is always like saving him or being like, Walt, that's a bad idea. Henry has a really distinctive way of speaking too. He doesn't, he, he doesn't use, use contraction. <laughs> I was wondering about writing that. I was like, he must go through or have, have somebody go through and make sure that that's really. And it works. Thing. It works really well. And it works well on the TV show. Like Lou Diamond Phillips plays him in the TV show. Doesn't use contractions. And uh, does not use contractions. Does not use contractions. And it gives him this kind of strange formality that becomes part of his character. It reminds me if you've ever seen, any of you all have ever seen the Coen Brothers adaptation of True Grit by Charles Portis, the best one. (laughs) The best one. No disrespect to John Wayne. That was one of the things they did on the set to create sort of a different feel to the language Mm -hmm. was nobody used contractions. Craig Johnson loves Shakespeare, though, because he uses Shakespeare quite a bit. Like, I just, one of the two books I read is called A Serpent's Tooth, which comes from a quote King Lear. All his book titles are, like, from... Other books. Or aphorisms. Yeah, like, so you didn't have a chance to get to this one. So I read The Cold Dish, and I liked it. One more thing about The Cold Dish before I move on is I did not see the resolution, the 
I didn't see it coming. It's a harsh one, too. It's harsh. Is he figures out who the murderer is late and it's like devastating to him. I won't like personally, personally very personally devastating like, to him. It's not Henry, but it's it's a yeah, close person. It's, you know, towards the end, he's like, as he's figuring it out, he's like, this murder case got a lot more personal in the last like 40 seconds or 40 minutes. And it's so sad. It's so sad. And at the end, it's still so sad. Like the case is over. He solved it. It's really sad. And he kind of goes back into his little cocoon at his house for several weeks. And then Henry kind of shows up with, you know, some soup or whatever <laughs> to, like, save him from himself. But it just, it kind of closes on that. It's just sad. Yeah. It's a very hard ending in that one. And I don't think I saw it coming either. Yeah. One of the things I want to say, too, about thinking about what you just said about about Henry and why I like Henry and Walt's relationship so much is, is there's a real tender relationship between uh-huh. grown men, which I think you don't always see. Or like, you know what I mean? Like vulnerable adult male yeah. friendship mm-hmm. um, is often very moving in the books. Yeah, there's, you know, like the big like cinematic things where like Walt's carrying Henry out of this snowstorm, that kind of saving. But then there's also like the everyday stuff where it's like Henry comes over with food because Walt just will... Yeah, he's in despair. Like, he's just, like, doesn't take good care of Oh, is he eating, like, frozen burritos? (laughs) So the other thing that Walt does a lot is, like, sleeps in the jail when Uh he's not in his cabin. Yeah, he's not taking very good care of himself. And I guess another piece of the world, too, that's important. So Vic Moretti is Italian-American, and she's from... Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And his daughter is is, is living in Philadelphia. So he has a daughter, Katie... And she figures a lot, too. She's not in this book a lot, but she he thinks about her a lot. And she's a lawyer in Philadelphia. And so the only, like, direct family he has is very far away. You know, I mentioned that he really dives into these subcultures. I had read The Cold Dish, and I, I liked it. You know, there were parts where I was like, I don't know. And then I read the second one, which is called Death Without Company. And that, I think it's one of the favorite ones I've read of the series. It comes from a Basque proverb. And there are a lot of, that's another kind of subculture in Wyoming is, is Spanish, Basque, uh, sheep herders. And there's there's a vibrant Basque community there. And this book is really concerned with that community. And he does, you know, a real deep dive into that, learning about that community. It's also one that brings Lucian Connolly into much more of a, a bigger role. He does that in a couple of the books. It also starts, as you go along in the books, there's quite a uh, large cast of deputies, too. He ends up taking on a Basque deputy, Sizer Pretoria, and he ends up, by the time I'm at like the 10th book, there's like a bunch of deputies. That's one thing in the TV show that was funny is they, they really boiled those deputies down to like a couple, and I think the books are more realistic probably about the workload of managing that vast amount of territory. Mm-hmm. I just thought that one was so good. And it, like I said, it was tighter and a little more confident, I think. And probably, you know, didn't have to spend as much time building the world. You're coming in and he sort of, he has these subtle reminders too. And some of this might be edit, editors too, if somebody was jumping in with the second book so that you're not totally in the dark. But uh, yeah, also if you're reading them as they're being published, you know, presumably time goes it's by. It's been like a year since you wrote the last book. Mm-hmm. Um, we need those like little reminders. I just started this this one, and it starts where he's 
dealing with the end of the first book. So. Yeah, they, there's not a lot of time between the books. So I, I don't know what the total that Johnson's up to now, but a lot of times they seem like a season. Like this one will be in winter, and then the next book it's spring, and then the next book it's fall again. So the 15 books or whatever that he's published take place over a few years. I liked Death Without Company a lot. I think the third book is a real departure. I can't remember what it's called, but they go to Philadelphia. That's like a takes it on the road novel. And so they end up going to Philadelphia. I can't remember why. It's called Something Goes Unpunished. Kindness Goes Unpunished. Kindness Goes Unpunished. Him and Henry end up going to Philadelphia and getting embroiled in a mystery there. But because of course they do. (laughs) They are a delight. You know, a couple of these books that I have in front of me, too, that I remember being really struck by, they both involve Native American people a lot. Another Man's Moccasins and then Hell is Empty. The novels, increasingly, not just in terms of like a Native American type of mysticism, go further and further into being kind of like philosophical as Walt deals with sort of the internal storm of his feelings about loss and aging and crime and punishment and all these things. And it sounds like, you know, I am not caught up on the series. He just published a new one. That trend continues. And that comes into Craig Johnson being hard to categorize. You know, he writes these popular mysteries. And I think I had assumptions about them as super popular mysteries Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't be very good. He writes these super popular mysteries that are also Westerns, that are also like literary, that are also philosophical. And I think that makes for a really cool mix. And they're like a little cozy at times. But I think one of the things that really would distinguish that is like doesn't seem to just jumping from the first one into the second one. And the end of the first book is traumatic for Walt, what happens. And it doesn't start the second book like a lot of <laughs> series would be just being like reset, reset, like pretending that doesn't happen that or that hasn't happened or it doesn't affect him. No. And that I can tell you as someone who's read further in the series, all these experiences build on each other. He and the other characters refer to them mm-hmm. also because they're like not that far in the past. He, over the next few books, he's processing his experience. He'll refer to his experience in the mountains. You know, mm-hmm. that is true. There is a lot of and I don't think the TV show does that either think it continues a through line that's a thing we should probably talk about is the tv adaptation i've watched i think only the first episode and i think the first episode of the show takes the first book and makes it a mystery that's resolved by the end of the first episode yes so that idea of the melissa Littlebird case and the vigilante justice mm-hmm is in the first episode it's an interesting thing where i feel like the tv show and the um Books are different in very important ways. And that was part of my curiosity in reading the books too. And you can just contain so much more in a book. They're different and kind of unapologetically, like one, they're not better or worse, Like, but they're, they make very different decisions. And Johnson was involved in the TV show and made the decision, I think, unusual decision. None of the mysteries in the show that are drawn from the books ever end the same. They, they write totally new endings they change them so you never are like gonna pick up a longmire book and go oh i know how this ends they're two separate worlds like parallel universes and i just think that's so cool yeah the character who is the murderer in the show for this first mystery and it's just the one guy who's been killed not two it's much 
shorter. And that was like the pilot episode for the show. So they got to fit a lot of stuff in there to see if the, you know, a network will buy it or whatever. It's not even a character in the book. Right. And there's important changes that are made in the TV show. And a lot of times I'm bothered with an adaptation versus, mm-hmm. a, and I'm not. Like, I, I can see the decisions. They're different. You know, Walt's wife had cancer in the TV series, but her death was suspicious. She was murdered. It was like a mugging. And so there's this subplot of him trying to sort of figure out what happened. But he doesn't tell people necessarily that. Like, people assume she died of the cancer. And he doesn't broadcast that there was something else going on. Henry knows. And, you know, the military service, Mm -hmm. the veteran thing is gone. And you had mentioned that that's probably because of, like, the logistics of their ages and stuff. Yeah. So The Cold Dish was published in 2005. And so that was... 17 years ago and And not that much time has passed in the books yeah and so for Longmire and Standing Bear to be Vietnam vets in a TV show that takes place now they'd be much older yeah Um, they wouldn't probably be like saving each other in snowstorms and like (laughs) hunting down murderers so I think that's like logistically. Yeah. But I remember being surprised when I read the books because I could have made them veterans of a different of a different war, war, but they didn't. Yeah. And and maybe that was a fine choice because the Vietnam War is a particular war. And I mean, one of the books or they could have strongly set the show in a different time period. Two thousand. You know, uh, another man's moccasins is one that was really interesting. And another one that was really like, I think, dug deep in the character. They find a Vietnamese woman alongside a highway. And so this book actually moves back and forth between the present and his time as a Marine investigator in Vietnam and deals with racism against Asians and human trafficking. He doesn't shy away from issues, too. I know one of his recent books that got a lot of attention had to deal with the um, epidemic of missing Native women. I think the new one that just came out deals somewhat with the boarding schools, legacy of the boarding schools. The show could have just said it in the early 2000s. I think yeah. that's a choice that's being made more often as people think of that as more of like a... A period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think of, well, I think of like the movie Turning Red, which is set in the yeah. early 2000s. As we get further from it, it starts to seem more possible to be like a period. Mm-hmm. Or even like a Yellow Jackets, which I talk about all the time, is like partially set in that early 2000s. They also, in the Longmire show, make some of the decisions I think you see being made in TV drama a lot, where there's got to be some different kinds. I mean, you didn't have to. They could have made a different kind of show, but there's a, a native tribal police chief that Longmire had involved with getting removed, and so he's like an enemy. You know, they create a little bit more of those kind of like arcs. But I think it's interesting, too. <laughs> Craig Johnson has talked about continuing to write Longmire books as the show is also being made and interacting with the show and being very involved with the actors and stuff. There's a a man, oh, and I'm going to forget his name, who plays one of the tribal police. Matthias is the character's name, not a character that appears in the book, books. But Craig Johnson got to know this man who plays this character and ended up writing a novella of a character that was sort of based on the actor. So, you know what I mean? There's this continue. Yeah. It just strikes me as a person who's very open and curious to like where it'll go, you know, which I think is nice. I, I'm curious now, too, to get, you know, what other people have said. But I think it's probably they're probably a little bit different than what people might think a Western is, which is good. I agree. It also makes me think a little bit. I was thinking about uh, the show Yellowstone in like comparison to this and it's not very cozy it's not it came up because someone uses the phrase buckle bunny 
and the cold dish. And I was like, I know what that is from this show. And I was like, so different, very like closely set, you know, Yellowstone's in Southern Montana. Yeah. Not very far away. Not very far away. (laughs) Totally different. But I think if you like one or the other, you might like the other thing. Sure. Um, Yellowstone is like a family soap opera about this one family. It's very different. And uh, the sensibility is totally different. But the settings are similar. Are similar. Yes. Yeah. And they're both like contemporarily set, more or less. Very different. And I enjoy Yellowstone, and and I'm always curious what Taylor Sheridan is doing. Sometimes I wish he would do something different, which is also always you know sort of a funny thing. It's like, oh, it's not always not really fair to wish you know this is what. Craig Johnson does. This is what Taylor Sheridan does. But I wish he did this totally different thing. I would not call Yellowstone is interesting. And it's obviously like majestically budgeted, beautifully shot and well acted. But like, I think how that show deals with human beings and emotions and things like that is very different than the way Longmire's world. Yes, it's very, a very soapy. dark yeah. and kind of nihilistic mm-hmm. view of people. And over the top. It's not a drama of the modern day West that deals with ordinary people or anything. Whereas the Longmire books deal a lot more with ordinary people. (laughs) These people are not ordinary. What if Taylor Sheridan was a showrunner for Longmire? (laughs) A lot more people would be dead. (laughs) I think, yeah, I don't know. Not a lot of tenderness in Yellowstone. A little bit. I don't know. I shouldn't say that. (laughs) There's a little bit. But then you're like... You're always wondering if they're being genuine or not. And I'm also kind of like, where are you going, Taylor Sheridan? Like, how are you going to land this ship? But anyway. I wanted to talk a little bit about my favorite scene, I think, in The Cold Dish. I'm going to go back to this crime scene for The Second Boy is Killed because it's so good. And I also feel like that's when I really start liking the book. It's like all this lake and there's all these like cabins around it. They're early in the morning. And here comes this guy on a mule in like shorts and it's winter it's winter in wyoming coming up to see what's going on and he is very drunk he says he's on a a three-day drunk and wald ends up going back to his cabin which is very sloppily made and interviewing him as like a witness he takes a breathalyzer with him and he's got like a (laughs) 4.5 blood alcohol content which is like what do they say like near a coma but this guy knows all of these these details because he he always look at the clock to like make a mental note whenever anything happens. So he knows exactly when the shot was fired and ends up being like a really good witness for this murder. <laughs> I don't know how well that would hold up, you know, in the court. But a really funny character. I guess it's also sad, but uh, I just thought that was like, it was real. What am I trying to say? Like, oh, yeah. No, I got, I, he, <laughs> Yeah, that's something we haven't really talked about is how fun. Yeah, they're funny. Yeah. These are not like, like that's another difference with Yellowstone. Not very funny, but these are like, you know, Walt pokes fun at himself. There's a real sense of humor mm-hmm. about himself and everything going on. And yeah, these books are also full of all these little side bits and characters. Yeah, and, and Walt's like, how come I don't know you? <laughs> He's like, how come I don't know you? Yeah, like- the books are full of that. <laughs> Full of that kind of stuff and little characters, mm-hmm. some of them recurring, you know, like like I'll just Lonnie Little Bird recurs. Mm-hmm. He's the chief. I don't know if he is in the first book. He's the chief of the Northern Cheyenne. And he's a guy who's lost his legs to diabetes, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's funny. I don't know. And Brandon White Buffalo, who runs the like 
White Buffalo Mini Mart on the reservation. Like, there's all these characters who are real distinctive. Some of them recur, and some of them are sort of just like one-time characters. Although sometimes you do get that feeling, like sort of like this. How do you not know that you just come across this person in yeah. this county? <laughs> well, it turns out he was from somewhere else, and he didn't even know what county he was in. But yeah, the Lonnie. Yeah, Lonnie, little bird. He's always like saying. Yes, it is so. Yes, it is so. That's like his verbal tick. Yeah. And then at the end of the book, when Henry comes to like try to take care of Walt, there's geese flying over and he says, you know, Lonnie told me something about those geese. Walt goes, yep. Says, you know how they always fly in that V? Yeah. And one side of the V is always longer. He waited forever and there's nothing else I could do. Why is that? Because there are more geese on one side than the other. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is so. <laughs> yeah. And that's just the end of that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I read two more books for this podcast. I read As the Crow Flies. And I think I was struggling a little bit to like, I had stopped for a while to get back in the flow and then one called Serpent's Tooth, which I just finished last night, that deals with like Mormon splinter groups in Wyoming and the oil industry. And then I also read like a little, he's done a certain number of like little novellas and short story collections too. And I read Christmas in Absaroka County, which is really short. It's like four short stories that deal with Christmas. And that was really nice. But he's also, there's like Wait for Signs, which is a 12 story collection. And then a few, like I mentioned, that he wrote for that, The Highwayman and... Uh, Christmas in Steamboat, which was actually picked as the first one Wyoming community reads in the oh. state. Yeah, he's really like racked up a lot of, like I picked up one of these books and it said it was like the Wyoming Historical Society Book of the Year. It's just like all these uh, particularly uh, Wyoming awards. Yeah, but he's not written anything else, like anything that wasn't the Longmire world. Not I don't think in a long time. He may have written some short stories that weren't Longmire at the beginning of his career. And then it that sort of just took off. And he's said that, you know, he has, what did he say? It was a year or two ago that he, he thought he had like 10 more years of ideas at the same mm -hmm. pace. And then, you know. And then Walt gets to retire. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And he talks in the first one, he wants Vic to be like the next sheriff. She would be the first female sheriff in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's still the case. That's a good question. Do you have anything else you want to say about the show? <laughs> I think I would be remiss talking over the wire like this if I didn't. So I read As the Crow Flies, mm -hmm. which happens mostly on the reservation. Like Henry and so Katie's going to get married and she wants to get married in Wyoming. And she's like tasked Henry and Walt with wedding planning. And Walt is mostly shirking it. He wants to get married to this one place on the res, but... <laughs> It's uh, one of the little birds, like Lonnie's cousin or something, has the book place booked for like a Cheyenne language immersion class. Eventually, they resolve this by having her wedding in Cheyenne as an oh. exercise for this Cheyenne immersion class. And so at the end of the book, Walt's like getting ready to like walk her down the aisle. Okay. And he's like practicing in his head this Cheyenne phrase that means, here is my daughter. I, I give her to you to, that she's gonna, he's going to say to this to uh, Vic's brother who's marrying his daughter. Oh. Yeah, you, you know, you, a lot happens in these books. Anyway, so it happens mostly on the reservation, and he kind of, like, takes this this new tribal police chief under his wing. She's, like, very new, and she's a, a veteran like him and dealing with a lot from Iraq. 
low, low, long. But anyway, there's also this character, Herbert, his good horse, who is known as the uh, sort of the radio personality. And when he signs off, he always says, stay calm, have courage, and wait for signs. So I had to say that on the air. So this is, as Becky mentioned, the last episode of 2022. Thank you to everybody for hanging with us and going on this journey with us. We appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this year has been tumultuous at the library. It's been hard to uh, find time to record and edit and get things posted in a timely manner. So I just like... I'm grateful for people who are still listening to our podcast. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if you've been participating on Beanstack in the uh, R Shelf Challenge, thank you. I know there's actually quite a few of you out there. I see you. We will be, it's, you could still do it. You could still pull it off if you, you get all the badges. Mm-hmm. I extended the challenge out through the end of the first week of January. Yes. You are entered in a drawing for a reader's delight box it's going to be full of wonders and guess what if you enjoyed this whole experience we're gonna do it again 2023 our shelf challenge we have already had our deliberations we've picked our slate of Mm -hmm. of authors that beanstack is going to go up very soon and be available for you to to start reading a whole new batch of artists and writers that we hope you'll enjoy so we'll start out 2023 talking about the work of Linda Berry, who is a cartoonist and a teacher of drawing and doing kind of like graphic narratives and has written both like books that are compilations of comics that she's written and also books about writing comics and and about creativity. And so I think that'll be really cool. Yeah. And you're going to hear, I think, a lot of different voices in this next year on the podcast. We're also going to be going back to a twice-monthly schedule. So you'll have every month the R Shelf episode with the featured author, but you'll also be hearing some episodes that deal with our local history because 2023 is the centennial for the city of Longview. Mm -hmm. And so we'll be having interviews with community members. You'll be able to see the authors in advance, but we will not be saying who is going to be the historical guest in advance. So you can look forward to that surprise every month. It's going to be a lot of fun. But you're also going to hear a lot of different staff voices. You've probably gotten really used to hearing me and Becky, and we'll be there. But you're also going to hear Joanne. You're going to hear Jacob Collins, Heather McBride, and many other, Jennifer Jensen. Lots of folks from the library are going to be coming on and sharing their thoughts. So we look forward to another year. And with that, I think we'll wrap up the year. Thanks, Austin. Thanks, Becky. Uh, You've been listening to your show. Or mine. I'm Becky. I'm Austin. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Support for Your Shelf or Mine comes from the friends of the Longview Public Library, the Longview Library Foundation, and listeners like you. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McKeldery from A Song for You. Find Megan online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery. I don't have a pen. What will you hold on to while you talk?